Hey friends, this is Ashley coming to you before this episode starts. I just wanted to let you all know that I have a newsletter. It's also called Boss Barista and you can find all of our episodes along with full transcripts and articles about each episode at the newsletter. So go to bossbarista.substack.com and all of this stuff will just end up in your email. It's kind of like magic. So again, bossbarista.substack.com to find all of these episodes along with additional content. Thanks for listening and on to the show. Hey friends, welcome to Boss Barista, the podcast about workplace equity and employee empowerment in coffee and beyond. I'm Ashley Rodriguez. My guest today is Keith Hawkins, the founder of Color of Coffee Collective, an organization that challenges the coffee industry to be more equitable across the supply chain. The Color of Coffee Collective does this in a couple of ways, through direct support, education, and an annual symposium held in Houston. Keith has been in the coffee industry for over 20 years and speaks frankly, honestly, and passionately about moving the needle of change. What I love about this conversation is that it both zooms in and out. We talk about change from a broad perspective and how meaningful action can evolve slowly, but we also talk about the minute moments, the small interactions and one-on-one discussions that fuel change behaviors and inspire new perspectives. The Color of Coffee Symposium is happening in just a couple of weeks in early March, and I hope listening to this conversation, which is both fun and lighthearted, but also emotional and deep, there are tears towards the end of the episode, inspires you to go to this event if you can. And if you can't, have a hard conversation with someone. Change happens in moments of honesty, and it's okay to admit when you're wrong. And I think Keith provides a perfect template for how to do work that might feel tough, but eventually you'll come out better at the other end. Here's Keith. Keith, I was hoping you could start by introducing yourself. Absolutely. So... Keith Hawkins, uh, born and raised in Houston, Texas, uh, went away to the military for 10 years and got into military police and drill sergeant school. And while it was fun and exciting, it was also unfulfilling for me in the sense that I was looking for something, I don't know, a little bit more kind of challenging because, you know, I had kind of reached a point of, okay, I'm at this point where I think I've I've reached success. Uh, So I came home and didn't want to do military or didn't want to do police work anymore. And a friend of mine invited me to come to work at a coffee place on the OCS, which is office coffee service. And I was like, what? Like, what is that? And that was early or mid nineties. And I was like, yeah, I don't even drink coffee, but I went anyway. And it was fun. It was fun because I got a chance to kind of get into coffee from a perspective of just basically delivering coffee and talking about coffee without actually drinking coffee. It was really unique, but yeah, it was it was different. And at that point, I didn't realize that I would kind of start liking coffee. Actually, <laughs> open okay, this is just a gateway job. I'm looking for something more down 
kind of what I'm, what I love to do. Yeah. So I kind of went and got stuck. And so here I am 24 years later. I was about to say, when you said the mid to late nineties, I was like, oh yeah, we've been in this for almost two decades, (laughs) over two decades. Yeah. Yeah. 24 years. It's been an interesting journey. When I look back and I think kind of, you know, this whole process of, you know, I always ask myself, like, how did I, the, the initial part of me again, getting into coffee was just finding a job. But the more I became, and and I'm not going to even try to years, I didn't care about learning the ins and outs of coffee because I just wanted a job. And then about six years, uh, if you take this serious, you can probably go places in this. And I thought, go places. I mean, I talk to customers all day long about coffee, but you really want me to learn actually more about coffee? Like, I, I don't, that, that conversation propelled me to get a little deeper. It, it, fa- it kind of fast forward my, 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 uh, I, I would say move up in the coffee ranks, but again, still on the office coffee side. Right. And you're, you're talking about a period too, of like, you said six years into it. So you're saying like 2000, three, four, five. So specialty coffee was still like not exactly as accessible. Also, we didn't have the internet in the way that we do now. So like, I have to imagine at that period of time, you're like, wait, like coffee can actually be a thing. Like I remember when I first learned that coffee could be a career in 2012 by going to a barista camp and people telling me what their jobs were. And I was like, this is, this isn't real. (laughs) So I have to imagine at that point too, for you, it must've been like, seriously like can I actually do this like what what at what point did you realize not just that you could do this but that you wanted to do this the point that kind of pivoted things for me was so clearly I came from the military I was a drill sergeant so I had leadership experience and I've always had leadership at the core of who I've been even from high school I've always had this element in me that wanted to see the best in people. I've always wanted to try to pull out the best in people and lead them in a path that would kind of grow them in the space in which they were in. I remember the pivoting point for me in coffee, especially in the OCS, is when one of my supervisors said, you know, you really can make some of this. And then I had a friend of mine who, at that time, the same guy who invited me into coffee, the roles were reversed and he ended up working directly for me. And I was more of kind of a supervisor than I was a manager. And I shared with him what I was discovering in coffee. And he was like, you sure you want to stay here because you like people? And I go, not just because I like people, but I really want to learn more about the packaging and the roasting and the story behind where this coffee has come from. Like we just get it and we consume it. And he's like, that's kind of your deal. And I was like, yeah, that's kind of where I want to stay, but I want to move from a different, I want to move from this to something different, but I didn't know how to move from this to something different, right? There was none of these elements in place, as you just mentioned, you know, these barista training schools there. So from the office coffee service side of things, you're either delivering the coffee or you're selling the coffee or you're supervising one of the two. There's no real plan in place to talk about. Let's get you connected to how we buy our, how get green buyers, how we buy our coffees. And so 
these are things that I was more interested in, but I never got a chance to. So what ended up happening was I just said, listen, I want to be a manager and I, I want to be able to learn. I want to be able to train people more, but I also want to be able to learn more. They would always have these managers meetings in these remote locations once a year. And if you were a manager, you got a chance to go. I aspired to do that, be it the the military in me, just wanting to be competitive, but I wanted to be in those managers meetings. And one day I got my wish. I was promoted to a manager and I went to the first manager's meeting. I was blown away for so many different reasons. I was blown away. Blown away, one, because of the amount of information that was shared there about coffee was nothing I ever knew of in the role that I was in, right? So there was this gap that I immediately saw. But then secondly, probably and most importantly, when I walked into that room, and this was, and I can give you exact date, this was 2006, mm-hmm. or 2000, yeah, 2006, I walked into the room and there was absolutely no person of color in the room. Mm-hmm. And there were no women in the room. And I was like, whoa, so these are the managers' meetings? And there was over 200 managers within the company that was at this meeting. And it was a, a whole weekend event. We had a great time. We discussed a lot of things. We learned a lot. But I was really confused as to why it was that the representation then didn't represent the people who were delivering the coffee. So that was a pivoting moment for me. I think that was the, that probably was the moment when I said, okay, I want to I want to get to know more. I think that kind of leads into, maybe maybe this is a little bit of a jump, but it kind of leads into some of the work that you're doing now with Color of Coffee Collective. And I was wondering if you could tell people a little bit about what that organization is and why you founded it. I founded Color of Coffee Collective in 2021, August to be exact, of 21. And this was after that self-realization in 2006, but then it just kind of built, built and built. So you would say 14, 15 years later, you decided to do something. Well, actually I was doing something in between, but what really, what I was hoping for was there was an opportunity for uh, some change within the industry that I thought, okay, well, maybe if I stay at this level, I can make an impact. And certainly that never happened. Uh, So fast forward to 2021, I am hanging out at, actually it was 2020 during still kind of the pandemic. I'm hanging out at a coffee shop as I'm prone to do when I go visit uh, cities. I was hanging out at a coffee shop in Dallas and I remember very vividly, I go to their Instagram page and and I, I get a cup of coffee. I'm sitting outside on the patio. And I go to their Instagram page and I'm checking out their Instagram and there's this post that happened just a couple of days before I arrived that said, hey, we're wanting to have some real honest discussions about this was post George Floyd and we want to have a Zoom call or a video call or a live when we discuss equity and representation and coffee and we'd love to get you guys input. Would you be interested and it was something to that effect on the post. Mm-hmm. And I immediately responded like on the post, like, absolutely, man, let me know when you guys are going to do this. I'd love to have this conversation. And that was in 20. So in 21, I followed up, things were opening up and I took a screenshot of the, the, the post and in my response and their response to my response. And I just saved it. 
so it was just kind of my way of reminding myself. So I followed up in 21, almost a year later to the date, and there was no answers. So they didn't have that Zoom call? No, they did not. Okay. They did not. And so it was at that moment that I realized that there were so many companies post-George Floyd who were really doing performative work, mm-hmm. right? There was a lot of advertisement about change, but there was very little movement about change and representation. I have felt this all along, but yet didn't have a platform to say we need change. And then there wasn't a whole lot of, you know, there was not a whole lot of, hey, we want to see change within coffee because, you know, as W.E.B. Du Bois once said, there's nothing wrong with the system that is not built to include folks of color. They feel that the system is okay. So I, I addressed that and, and I went back and I was like, hey, did you guys, are you ever going to have this discussion? And I got crickets, no response, no nothing. And it was at that moment that I realized like, if I want change, I'm going to have to be the change that I want to see in this world. And I just with a leap of faith, I just jumped out and said, this is what I want to do. I had been talking to some folks. Uh, I was hosting a coffee talk show on a local radio station here in Houston. And I would get guests on every weekend and folks that I knew through the industry, both black and brown. And one day I decided to email them and say, listen, this is a conversation that I'm thinking about having. And I'd love to have you guys a part of it. We kicked off the company and um, with a bunch of people who just believed in the vision, who had felt some sense of disenfranchisement as well. And here we are just over a year uh, and the momentum is continuing to grow. We had our first symposium in May of 2022, and we had just over 100 people there. And it was a phenomenal, more important than the turnout, was the energy uh, and the excitement within the building about having something where people didn't feel like I felt when I walked into that room of managers in 2006 of right. people who looked like them and who were doing the same work. It's interesting that you mentioned this Dallas coffee company not not following through on their promise to have this conversation because as I was hearing this story, I was like, coffee shops should be having these conversations. Like if we look historically mm-hmm. at what coffee shops are to communities, not to say that that hasn't been corrupted by gentrification and by other forces, but coffee shops are meant to be gathering spaces. If there's any space to do a tough conversation, it's a coffee shop. And then to like go backwards on it, like you were saying, it was performative. It was just like, we're going to signal these things, but we're not actually going to do them. Coffee is primed to have these tough conversations and we should be having them. Like it should be a space for us to really analyze, not just like what's happening within the coffee industry, but what's happening within coffees in general, not coffees in general, communities in general. Sure. So in the 2006 managers meeting, I walk into that space and then a couple of years later we go because the managers get a chance to go to, it was another coffee event. It wasn't the popular ones, but it was another coffee event that they sent us all to in New Orleans. And I walk into this space and again, it's almost like our managers meeting, right? I'm one, if not only a few of African-Americans that are in the room, no women or very few women. I take that back. There were women who were represented as salespeople but then there was also very few Latinos, if any. 
And so at this point, I am starting to understand a little bit more about coffee. And that is the, the portrayal of the industry was there's this huge dominant factor of white men who have a grasp on the in- industry. It is almost seeming as though there is just this transference of power to the next white male to continue to run the industry. And every now and again, they'll sprinkle in a few faces of color and or uh, women to kind of keep this movement going. Well, when I walked into the space in Seattle just recently for Coffee Fest or walked into the space in Los Angeles for Coffee Fest, it was no different from 2006 to 2022, which said to me that while coffee has been growing I mean, numerically and financially, economically, for years, yet the conversations around, and more importantly, the lack of conversations Mm -hmm. around how do you show up in places where other communities feel as though that they belong in these spaces. And, And I'm not sure, again, in 2022, how many manufacturers and or coffee giants really want to have these discussions. As I mentioned, you know, I think it's a lot of, let's put it out there, but we really don't want to set a date, nor set a time, nor set, more importantly, actions around viable. doing anything. Yeah. Yeah, right. We come along now, and thankfully, one of the things that I always tell my team is that we're not, we're not going to create this change in a matter of a year or two years because it's like running a hundred yard dash. If I or a hundred yard meters, if I give you a seventy five yard head start, chances of me catching you is they're impossible, right? But as long as we continue to run the race for the with the long goal in mind, and that is change is going to happen. And we just got to continue to have these conversations, but not just have conversations, but have have conversations that are surrounded around. OK, so what do we do about it around yeah. sustainable actions? Yeah, that's a good point. What are sustainable actions that we can take? Yeah, because I imagine I don't know, maybe I'm making a jump here, but. Still thinking back to that example that you said about the coffee shop in Dallas saying they're going to do a thing, then not doing that thing. I wonder if it's the the WBB Dubois quote that like, if you're not oppressed by the system, then the system is working just fine for you. But also partially because, I don't know, I don't know if I'm making a weird jump here, but like, because Mm -hmm. like people who don't, who are benefiting from a system of oppression don't have answers to how to change it either. Mm-hmm. So like, it's just like, well, we don't need to think about it. We have no answers. So we're just going to keep moving along. And to that point, the collective as a whole was birthed at a time, not because I am genius or I have these, you know, I, I always tell people, my grandfather has always taught me when I was a kid before he passed away is always surround yourself with people who look better than you and who are smarter than you. <laughs> That's the whole point and of Boss Barista. So don't, I got to understand that. <laughs> And so I have done just that. And I've got a team of brilliant young mind uh, young minds who who understand and and listen, and they're not all people of color. We have people who are 
in this fight and they're all not in coffee, but they understand the fight. And more importantly, they understand if we're going to make an impact and change, we first have to educate communities, right? Mm -hmm. We can all identify that there is a problem. And so, you know, we begin that education piece with our four pillars of education that we have at Color of Coffee Collective. And one is we talk about the history of coffee. Where did coffee come from? We talk about equity and representation. So knowing where coffee comes from. Second, what does equity and representation look like in regards to kind of where that coffee comes from? And then the, you know, thirdly, we talk about cultivating community. So once you identify kind of these wounds and it kind of stings a little bit, and people are like, oh, wow, that really hurts to know that we're having to have these conversations, even though I may not have been a part of this disenfranchisement of these communities. I still understand there's a role I have to play in this. Right. We develop relationships with people that we really want to help them to grow their business or more importantly, involve, how do you involve people? in a system, as you mentioned, that you don't know where to begin. And that's where we come alongside you and we work with you. We don't come in being the know-all, fix it all, have all the answers, because we don't have all the answers. In 24 years of being in coffee, I promise you, I learn something new every day. You learn more about people when you're open to learning and growing and being and being developed. And then the last part of our, you know, our four pillars is sustainability. Our goal is to literally come in again and work alongside people who, for as many coffee shops that are popping up and that are around and are existing, a lot of them don't have the tools or the resources to remain sustainable. And some of them are drowning and throwing up a red, uh, throwing up a white flag of surrender. And they're hoping someone will come along and say, look, how can we fix what we have as clearly a problem? Because if we don't make we don't make revenue, there's a chance that we can close the doors. And then that's just coffee shops. I mean, I've talked to roasters with the same concerns. Mm -hmm. For the most part, what we're trying to do is build relationships with these folks to say, look, we want to create relationships that will help you remain relevant and remain sustainable within the industry, while also creating some equity and representation. And I think we can do that if everyone loses their pride and learns to work together. I think that's a really, that last thing you just said, if everybody loses their pride, because I go back to that idea of coffee shops closing and roasters struggling. And there are very real things that are happening that are affecting coffee shops, that are affecting roasters. Obviously, the COVID-19 pandemic has devastated the coffee industry Mm -hmm. substantially. But sometimes I feel Again, I'm going to keep going back like that Dallas example. I can't I can't stop thinking about it. <laughs> but it seems like there is a point in some coffee shops. I'm not going to say everybody because I, I, I obviously don't know that. But there seems to be a point where a lot of owners or managers kind of throw their hands up and say, I don't know what to do, but don't necessarily look to someone like you or look Mm -hmm. to somebody like in the community and say like, how do I engage with my community? I think sometimes, and maybe this is just like what capitalism has taught us to do. There's this expectation Mm -hmm. that I'll open a business or I'll open a thing or I'll open a roastery and like the customers will just come, but there's no Mm -hmm. sense of actually cultivating your community. And that's where like, 
I feel like some, yeah, I feel like Color of Coffee Collective like could really come in and be like, what, what's here? Like, what's around you? Like, what are you doing mm. for this group of people? I'm so I'm so glad that you raised that point, especially about again about the uh, the Dallas coffee shop and maybe the managers not have not knowing. And also, I'm so thankful for this for this time to speak with you about this because oftentimes I walk into a space more than likely, and this is not just in white spaces. This is also in black coffee spaces as well. I walk into a space. And I'm having to literally read a resume uh, for them to better understand what qualifies me to have this conversation. Whereas I have seen it with my own eyes where my white counterpart can walk in and have the same conversation and immediately their thoughts and their feedback is received without question, mm-hmm. right? I I used to say, to be brutally honest with you, I used to say I get it, right? But no longer do I say I get it because then I am only I am only dismissing my real genuine feelings. And that is, it's hurtful to know that the experiences that I have cultivated in this industry are still overlooked or they're not seen because they see my skin first, Right. right. And this is not a, and I want to be clear to the listeners, this is not a a moment of sorrow or self-pity. These are just facts for me. That being said, for that coffee shop in Dallas who did not adhere to or, or wanted to kind of, you know, do this performative work, the thing I'll say to anyone who literally wants to make change but don't know where to begin, first thing, reach out to us. We'd love to help. But then secondly, I think you have to be genuine in your actions. And if you don't feel like, hey, this is something that I'm ready to take on, or maybe you felt it in that moment, but then you realize I can't, I I don't even know where to begin. I think at that moment, you have to be just as honest in your response as you was in the initial post. Right, right. Right. Like, yeah. be honest about it. And like, what happens next? Like, what, like, I think oftentimes what hampers progress is an inability to accept when you were wrong. Mm, that's and so good. yeah, like, it's, and it's, and it's okay to be like, wow, we didn't, we didn't have that Zoom call. Like, you're yeah. right. Like, we were wrong. What do we do next? But instead, I mean, we could say, I mean, today's election day, the day we were recording. So I could say this about like everything happening in the Mm -hmm. world around us but it seems like and especially in coffee going back to this idea like that you've had these conversations before like you're continuing to have these conversations the room you walked into in 2006 looks markedly the same as the room that you walked into in 2021 it feels like we are continuing to have the same conversations in coffee but we're not accepting our culpability and why these things are still the same One of the most freeing moments, and I'm getting chills just even getting ready to say this. One of the most freeing moments, I had a conversation with with a gentleman who is the VP of a large manufacturing company whose name I will not say at this moment. And we were very honest. As I walked around Coffee Fest and people were kind of, you know, observing kind of who I was, because it's weird. People 
when you look different than them, it, it's weird. They 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 first glance at your badge before they look you in the eyes, and I always thought like that would be offensive, you know, <laughs> anywhere else. But they they look at your badge and and they've got to find out who you are and where you're from before they shake your hand and say hello. But one of the conversations I had was with a gentleman who genuinely stopped me and said, listen, I want to talk to you about this. And he says, I don't know what we can do or how we can do it and don't know what this would look like. But, you know, we've had conversations before and we really want to see impact happen. And we want to see change happen at the level of where our products and our equipment goes. Uh, and we know our equipment is within these communities. However, you know, we haven't had an opportunity to reach them because, and they can't come here. They can't afford to come here. And he was very honest about that because one of the things that he realized was most of the, most of his customers, whether, you know, at whatever level they are, can't always make it to the big events because they're too busy trying to keep their shops open. Right. And so for them, what we are doing is a great way for them to connect with their consumer or their customers. And then more importantly, get within communities that don't always see them in that fashion. And and so it was at that moment that I realized like, okay, we have kind of made some breakthrough and there's some other conversations that we've been having that I feel have been very instrumental into kind of the direction that we're going. And, and I'm thankful for that. And I do think that there's going to be more along the way. But as I mentioned, you know, I think the old saying is, how do you eat an elephant? You know, one bite at a time. And that's what we're doing at the Color Coffee Collective. Our goal is just to literally change this, change this narrative about coffee and more importantly, change the community of coffee uh, just one one cup at a time, and uh, we're going to love people like we love coffee. I've never heard that phrase about the elephant, but I think it's yeah. really appropriate here. Yeah. So when you're talking about these incremental changes, these like one, maybe one moment or one person or one instance, can you think yeah. of a time that that change was reflected back to you? Like a time where someone like maybe came up to you and was like, Something you did impacted the way that I now do something else. Wow, Ashley. So I, I didn't pre-warn you, but I'm a I'm an emotional guy and I cry very easy. So let me just try to tell this story without doing that. Yeah, our first symposium of uh 21, or I'm sorry, of 22, May of May 14, 2022. Immediately after the symposium, I had some folks who came ironically from out of town to Houston and uh, they had heard about it last minute and um, and said to me, we didn't know if we were going to make it in this industry. And we've been, we've been struggling a long time and we didn't have this type of community. We've had people to put us in our shop and put things together, but we, had, we, we didn't have this type of community. They were very thankful. To, to be a part of a community that sees them for where they are yeah, and that can help them connect with people that will keep their doors open. And I think, I think 
where specialty coffee misses the moments are. There are some amazing people in coffee that have given the opportunity and the right space. It would change the industry in such a way and it burdens my heart that we we continue to move in, in these silos as if we move in silos as if we're going to make all the money and we're never going to share it. And there are people who literally put their lives in there and their families on the line for coffee. And, and they just want to be impactful in their little corner of the world. We don't hear those. We don't hear those voices. We don't. And it's frustrating. But I'm thankful that, you know, God has given me a platform and I get a chance to I get a chance to have those folks. I get a chance to to have those conversations, those real raw conversations with people who really just want to be in coffee, man, for for the love of coffee, for the love of community, and for the love of change. And I love that. And that's 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 the moment for me. Thank you for sharing that story. Oh, I know that. Yeah. That was that was such a that was such a big impactful moment and I think it's yeah. really easy to get like really big picture sometimes. Like it's really easy, especially like w- with the writing that I do. Sometimes I feel like I'm I'm looking at these big picture trends. I'm looking at these big picture ideas about how coffee moves and stuff. And this is all really big picture stuff. But at the same time, it's also very personal. It is really yeah. about these like one-on-one moments about that one group of people that came up to you and said like, we needed this, we needed this to exist. And I have to imagine in a way, I know I feel this sometimes when someone tells me that a conversation is impactful, it's like 99% of the time, sometimes it feels like I have no idea what I'm doing, but 1% of the time it feels like everything makes sense. Right. Yeah. (laughs) I have to imagine that, that you feel that same way too. And it feels like every day, yeah, it's just like those those like like those like glimpses of moments where you're like, oh, this 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 does matter. Like somebody somebody needed this. Yeah, and that's that that makes everything else worth it. Yeah, one hundred percent. Literally, since the day August of twenty twenty one, and probably before that, I questioned whether or not this was the right move. Right, not because I was scared of failing, um, but I was more concerned with how many people would believe that this was this was a viable thing right mm-hmm. how many people would actually be okay with coming out and saying yeah i i feel abandoned by specialty coffee and i am within the community of specialty coffee how many people would actually support that idea and that narrative and it's not a false narrative it's a it's a realistic everyday experience that people deal with but every single i'm not even kidding uh ashley every single day the journey that we're taking is confirmed and affirmed by an email a phone call a conversation or an event that says i'm glad you're here 
not that I look for justification or validation in these in these spaces because as a leader sometimes you make decisions or you you cast out a vision based off of what you see, feel, and understand and, and through a lot of prayer for me. And you have to be consistent with that. But it certainly feels great every now and again to get the affirmation to say, you've you've reached me in a spot that no one else has ever done. And I thank you for that. Is there anything you want people listening to know about you or about Color of Coffee? Man, nothing about me other than I'm passionate about making an impact on this industry in such a way that blesses everyone. The Color of Coffee Collective has a wonderful and amazing group of people. Two who, who... have been on the show. Oh, yes. There you go. <laughs> you've had Nikki and you've had KP. And there you go. That that explains it. I uh, Again, I surround myself with, with, with brilliant people. But yeah, we we are all passionate about this coffee industry and we're passionate about not just the because we're a nonprofit organization, so we don't boast about because we don't have a product to sell. All we have, man, is we have big hearts who really wanna have some very open and honest conversations with some shops who or and or roasters who feel disenfranchised and, and who who wanna have some impacts and we've kind of created some networks of folks who who are, are some players within the industry who we feel like we're we're trying to connect uh, some of our shops and some of our roaster friends with to help further these conversations and we're really excited about some things that are proposed uh, we just can't announce them yet but hopefully here in the near future we'll be able to to announce some things and and make some make some more impacts and make some changes Keith thank you so much for taking time to chat with me and for being it's just so open and vulnerable. I really appreciate your time. No, thank you. I appreciate you. And this has been an honor to be here with you and uh, your listening audience. So thank you so much, Ashley. I appreciate you. That was Keith Hawkins, the founder of Color of Coffee Collective. Remember, the Color of Coffee Symposium is taking place in March. It's going on from March 10th through 12th in Houston, And you can get your tickets by going to their website, colorofcoffeecollective.com. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks. I'm just looking for a better day. Boss Barista is produced by me, Ashley Rodriguez. You can find a transcription of this episode on my newsletter, along with an accompanying article about this episode every Thursday at bossbarista.substack.com. To support the show, you can visit www.patreon.com slash bossbarista. We have over 80 patrons supporting the show right now, which is incredible. And that helps keep the show alive. We pay guests through this fund, we pay for website hosting, and we make donations. Half of our patron donations are currently pledged to five different nonprofits, each at $50 a month. Asada's Daughters, the Loveland Foundation, the Native American Rights Fund, the Grocery Run Club, and the Chicago Community Bond Fund. Again, if you want to support Boss Barista, consider making a monthly donation at www.patreon.com slash bossbarista. Another amazing way to support the show is to share this episode with just one person, a friend, 
someone who you think would learn something from this episode, anybody. Sharing on social media is also a huge help, along with giving us a five-star review on Apple iTunes. As a small production, these things matter a lot. So if you can take a little time, share out some of your favorite quotes from this episode, and tag us. That would be amazing. We're at Boss Barista Podcast on Instagram and Boss underscore Barista on Twitter. You can also send me an email at bossbaristapodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week.